Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Romans 12, verses 9 through 16 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Well, good morning. Once again, church family, welcome. So thankful that you're all here. You know, this is one of my favorite scriptures right here. There's just such spiritual meat here, such practical advice uh, for our daily lives. Um, if we all read this every day of our lives, I think it would really transform our lives where we would be more Christ-like. Uh, the past three weeks, we've been talking about how to be us, how to be the church, not just how to do church, but how to be the church. And so we've talked about loving one another with action, encouraging one another is very important. And now we talk about being devoted to one another in brotherly love, as the NIV version says, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Before we get too deep, let me uh, just take a moment and thank uh, some of the young men and women who served this past week. Uh, it was our teen-led worship, and uh, all the teens that were involved behind the scenes and leading singing and preaching, they did a great job. So um, that service is always such a blessing to me. So thank you for the for the young men and women who served in that way. Um, so today, we talk about how to be us being devoted to one another. And a good place in the Bible to see this is the first church, as described in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, says this about that first church. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. They were, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. If you could say one thing about the church when it was first established some 2,000 years ago, it was that they were devoted to one another. They were really committed and they really cared for one another. So much so that they pulled out this old word that wasn't used for like a century in their common language in the Greek. They pulled out this old word to describe this community. It's called koinonia. Now, some of you have heard of this word. In fact, we have 
the koinonia room in the basement. It's the old library. And I've heard people pronounce it in a lot of different ways. But for whatever reason, the biblical scholars pronounce it koinonia. Okay? So now, if you want to feel like a biblical scholar, you pronounce it koinonia. So now we all know how to say koinonia room. Okay? Or you can just call it the old library. You know, that's what I hear a lot of people call it. Um, but we shouldn't have to go back 2,000 years ago to find this type of community. Our society today, this city, Kansas City, our country, we need this in 2017. And the church is really the place where it's supposed to be, where koinonia is found. It reminds me of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, words from the 1966 article. Now, I said that like I remembered it from 1966, but I looked it up on the internet, okay? Um, Dr. Martin Luther King said, I do not think of political power as an end, as an end. neither do I think of economic power as an end. They are ingredients in the objective that we seek in life, and I think that end of that objective is a truly brotherly society, the creation of the beloved community, the beloved community of which Dr. King spoke, a truly brotherly society needs to be found right here in our relationships between you and me, between each other, a beloved community. The KingSetCenter.org website kind of goes into more detail. Uh, the KingCenter.org website says this about this beloved community. It says, in the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. Love and trust will triumph over fear and hatred. Peace with justice will prevail over war and military conflict. Sounds like koinonia to me. Sounds like Dr. King knew of this word, koinonia. Church, tell me that you're hungry for this type of community. Aren't you hungry for it? Where we're committed and we're loving and we encourage one another and we're devoted to one another. Just like the first church was in Acts. you got to be hungry for this. And we're not talking about some perfect utopia, you know, where conflict never arises and everything is perfect. Because we are far from perfect. But I want you to think about those people out there in the world who are searching. Those searchers out there. They witness all the corruption out there and the evil and they wonder is this all there is? Is this the best that there is to offer? They're wondering is there a better way? Think about those people who hop from church to church and they can't find a place a group of people that genuinely love each other and care for each other. Think about those people. We, Heartland, should exist for those type of people. The searchers and the church hoppers. We should exist for those people. 
there is an abundance of hunger out there. And I think they can find what they are hungry for right here. So what do we do? How do we become that beloved community? Well, look no further than our scripture reading this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. There you'll find actually ten practical things uh, that you can apply to your own life. Now, we're not going to have time to cover all ten, don't worry. But I'm going to try to cover five of those things this morning. And I'm going to focus, really focus in on being devoted to one another and brotherly love. So first, first bullet point that I want to do is, is Paul says that love must be sincere. Now the Greek word that is used here, the Greek language, um, kind of suggests no wax in the clay. Okay, at the time, at this time, potters would sometimes add a little wax to their to their clay when making pottery. And so it would make the, the clay last longer, it would go farther, but the pottery would be of less quality. So in fact, in effect, they would be selling you a lie. It wouldn't be pure clay pottery. It wouldn't last long. So we have the idea here that love must be sincere. It must be pure. Think about whether you are selling people that you encounter a lie. Are you selling people a lie? It's not enough just to look like a Christian. It's not enough even just to act like a Christian. Love must be who you are inside and out, at your very core. There's no what's-in-it-for-me attitude. There's no selfish motive. It's all love. Nothing for me. No benefit for me. I'm just doing this because I love it. That's what it means to be to have sincere love. Next, Paul says to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, church, I think we struggle with this one. Do we really hate evil? Do you hate your sin? I'm afraid that a lot of Christians, they sort of kind of get comfortable, a little buddy-buddy with their sin, and they just accept it as who they are. And what that does is force God's hand to be forgiving toward you. We don't want to test the Lord our God. We should hate our sin. The thought of sin should disgust us. Now, are we going to fall short? Are we going to sin? Yeah, we are. But it should make us sick. So if you don't hate your sin, you will never live the life that God intended for you. If you don't hate your sin, you cannot cling to what is good. And consider this. A lot of times... We don't hate sin. We just hate the consequences of sin. So, for example, you know, to a lot of us, gluttony doesn't sound that bad, right? I'd like to eat a little bit more than necessary. Get a little more sugar, a little more salt. Sounds good to me. But I don't want to die in five years, okay? So I'm not going to eat unhealthily, see? So there's... 
not hating the sin, just hating the consequences. Maybe the thought of adultery doesn't sound that bad to you. Maybe it sounds a little exciting. And after all, Hollywood makes adultery appealing, exciting. It glamorizes adultery. But then you start to start thinking about it and you're like, I don't know, that's a good idea. The consequences wouldn't be very good. And we find a way to label that as noble in our mind. But if just the very thought of adultery doesn't make you sick, then something is amiss. Your conscience has been seared. And you got to make it right. you got to challenge yourself to be repulsed by just the thought of that sin. So think about it. Do you hate your sin or you just do you just hate the consequences of sin? Because if you are a sincere follower of Jesus, the thought of sin alone should make you just as afraid as the thought of hell. Okay? The thought of sin should make you just as afraid as the thought of hell. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Now, maybe you can think of a time, maybe like Clark's sons, Jacob and Austin, who, you know, were, were somewhat recently baptized. And you're, you can think of these spiritual mountaintops that you've, you've experienced. And being a Christian was just awesome. And you're elated and you can't wait to share your faith. And everything is wonderful. In a world where things easily fade and get weaker over time and things age, how do we keep that spiritual fervor? How does our faith actually grow stronger? Listen to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season. And get this, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. So you want to keep your spiritual fervor. You delight in God's law. You delight in the law of the Lord. That's how you keep your spiritual fervor. Your leaves will never wither. They'll never fade. So we need to be, as Christians, energetic and enthusiastic about our faith. Of any people on earth, we should be the happiest people on earth. Forgiven sinners, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, blessed with each other, all these great blessings we have. And meanwhile, we see young men in this country who join ISIS. And, you know, I think it's because those young men, they long, they yearn for something to give their lives to. They yearn for somebody to follow. 
And if the church was actually being the church, those young men would have been swallowed up already by the beloved community. They would have been captivated by our devotion to one another. Captivated by following Jesus Christ. So the world is definitely hungry for this. Acts 4, Romans 12, beloved community. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Jesus was such a warm person. He welcomed people in this circle. It was scandalous inclusiveness. A scandalous welcoming of sin. When is the last time that you invited somebody into your circle? When is the last time you've invited somebody into your home to share in your blessing? Because we were never meant to keep what we have been blessed with to ourselves, to the glory of me and myself and I. If you are blessed with something, it was meant to share with others. So, for example, if God blessed you with a good voice and you can really sing, you're not supposed to keep that to yourself. You share it with others. Okay, if you've got a good voice, I'm sure Jerome can find some brilliant ways for you to share that blessing with others. Maybe you've been blessed with wealth. That's great. That's awesome. But you were never meant to keep your blessing all to yourself alone and sit on it for your own glory. Whatever you are blessed with, it's just because of the grace of God. And we thank God for it. We get down on our knees, thank God for it, and find ways to share our blessing with one another. And as long as you're part of a church and you're looking and paying attention, you're going to find ways to share what you've been blessed with. You really get to know people. You'll find ways to be a blessing. Finally, I want to focus on verse 10 of Romans chapter 12. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I want everybody to say this together. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. One more time. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The Greek word used for devoted here is actually two words. It's kind of two Greek words that were meshed together. And we say devoted. Some other translations will say tenderly affectionate. So what we have here is a fusion of two different types of relationships into one. One of those Greek words is a family love. It has to do with loyalty and commitment. The other Greek word has to do with like a friendship love. A love of your choice with, with emotions. Friendship, okay? So what Paul is trying to tell us is that we in the church, in the beloved community, must be both committed to each other and caring for one another. Okay, another way to say it would be that Paul wants us to give our time to one another, 
and also our hearts to one another. Okay? It's quantity and quality combined. And you know, you really can't have one without the other. Quantity and quality. Family, friendship, time, and heart. You can't have one without the other. Let me, let me give you an example. Take your own family, maybe. Or take, take the example of a father and a son. What if the father were to tell the son, Son, next week, we're going to have such a great week. I'm not working, and I'm going to be around all week. I'm going to be there. However, we're not going to really get to do much. We're not going to get to talk very often, um, but I'll, I'll be around the whole week. Okay, something is kind of missing there, right? On the other hand, what if the father said, you know, we are going to do some wonderful things together next week. We're going to talk. We're going to we're going to do all this stuff together. It's going to be we're going to have quality time together. But it's only going to be for about an hour and a half next week. Okay, something is missing there, right? Same way with your with husbands and wives. You can't have one without the other. It's got to be quantity and quality. So that's what the apostle Paul wants the church family to have. Both types of love together. Wants to give, wants us to give our time to each other and our hearts to each other. And there are people here today underneath this roof that just long for that type of community. I know that there is. Paul believed it was possible. Martin Luther King Jr. believed it was possible. Jesus knew it was possible when he died on the cross. So let me ask you, are you just going to be kind of a normal church attender? Are you going to be a church member? Are you going to show up on Sunday mornings and just kind of go through the motions? Or are you going to be committed and caring to one another? Are you going to give both loyalty and affection to one another? If so, you know, maybe read Romans chapter 12 a few times this week to really learn what that's all about. If we're serious about being the church, being the church, not just doing church, then we will strive to give our time and our hearts to one another. We will demand both quantity and quality from one another. Uh, Stan mentioned this uh, at the very beginning of our service during his announcement. Um, we're getting together on Wednesday nights talking about how we can increase member participation. We've been talking a lot about small groups on Wednesday nights. And I invite you to come this Wednesday night. We're not through with the discussion. But I know our elders would love to see small groups just thrive here. As would I. I would love to see small groups thrive. Because small groups greatly increases the chances for this koinonia to actually happen. Greatly increases the chances this type of relationship to occur in the body of Christ. And small groups can reach out into the community in unique ways. So the past month, I've been preaching on loving one another with action encouraging one another 
accepting one another, welcoming one another, and today, being devoted to one another. Truth be told, I presented these lessons. My motivation has been to convince you of the need and importance of small groups. Because all these things happen in settings that cater towards intimate relationships with smaller groups of people. That's where it happens. That's where the magic happens. That's where um, loving one another, encouraging one another, accepting one another, caring for one another, being committed to one another happens. It can't happen just on Sunday morning. But in small groups, those things rise to the top. And I'm not done. i got a few more lessons on this topic as well coming up this month. But church, you've got, you've got to want it. You've got to want, have the desire to be both committed and caring. Because if you're not hungry for that, Romans chapter 12, if you're not hungry for these types of relationships, then you are in direct disobedience to God's Word. You have to want that. You have to desire to live by God's Word, to be devoted to one another and give your time and your hearts to one another. I read an article uh, last week. It was in The Atlantic. Um, It was about the adverse effects of the smartphone for teenagers. And it was very interesting. You know, Google The Atlantic smartphone, teenager, and you'll probably find the article. It's fairly long, but it's worth a read. And they interviewed a typical uh, teenager. It was a young woman. And she said that she liked her smartphone better than she liked people. And maybe you can relate. Um, That, you know, it's sad because... You know, and it's not just young people. Okay, you guys in high school now, you grew up with the internet, with smartphones, you know, no, of no better way. But something is missing when you're in your room, right, all day or all evening with the smartphone and no community, no beloved community. And parents and adults, okay, I'm not letting you off the hook too. Since the invention of the smartphone, it's affected us too. Okay? How many of you sleep with your phone, you know, right on the nightstand or under your pillow? Um, and maybe Facebook or whatever social media you use is the last thing you look at before you go to bed. And it's the first thing you look at when you wake up. The studies find that this type of behavior where we're attached to our smartphones leads to much higher rates of depression, suicide, and mental illness. And it's because the beloved community is missing. We need, we're designed to be in community. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve were designed for the beloved community, just like God had with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the very beginning. So we've got to have that. We can't miss it. We have to want it and desire it or else we're not being who God made us to be and we're in direct disobedience of God's Word. So what will God do 
What will God do if we make this commitment? Let's go back to our scripture in Acts chapter 4. Verse 32 through 35. And I'm just going to read kind of... um, Well, I'll just start from the beginning. All the believers were one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this. And much grace was upon them all. Much grace was upon them all. Grace is a lot more than just forgiveness. If somebody told you that grace was just God forgiving you of your sin, they have a very limited view of grace. Grace empowered the Christians in the first century to love each other, to encourage one another, to be devoted to one another. And the grace of God will do that today. It's not about, like I said, it's not about if we commit What it is, it's if we join God. Because God doesn't join us in what we do. We join God. And that was God's plan from the very beginning. And people will be drawn to this type of community. People are always drawn to the beloved community. So... Are you ready to be the church and stop just doing church? Are you ready to do more than just go through the motions on Sunday morning? Study Romans chapter 12 this week. I put on the communication card to read Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21 every day this week. Meditate on that. Pray about it. Come on Wednesday nights and talk about You know, how we can be more devoted to one another. Give us your ideas about small groups and your concern and how we can do better at it. There's, I mean, there's plenty of steps you can take this week to be devoted to one another. If you need to repent this morning of not desiring this type of relationship that is both committed and affectionate, You can do that this morning. If you want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian and how you become a Christian, whatever your need is, we've got room right here on this row and this row. They're all yours. Um, We're going to have an elder in the back that you can talk to. Whatever your need, please come. Stand.